Welcome to Mill Creek Church in Belleville, Texas, where our worship service is in progress. Today, Pastor Monty Bird continues with his sermon series on the book of Romans. And now, Pastor Bird. You know, the wonderful thing about Thanksgiving hymns and songs is in society today, we just fly past Thanksgiving, don't we? Christmas stuff is up in the stores before Halloween, and not enough time is given to give thanks for what God has given each and every one of us. Join me in prayer, please. Lord, as we approach your word this morning, I just pray that you would open up our hearts and minds to your truth. I pray, Lord, that we would take it and apply it, not just in this hour, but when we depart from this place, that people might look and see God working in each and every one of our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. I absolutely love to preach. I always find it a great joy to fill the pulpit. And there are some sermons that you really get excited about preaching more than others. And and this happens to be one of those. I've looked forward to preaching this for over a week. And before I begin, let me remind you, as I have made it a practice in the last number of Sundays, that as we progress through the book of Romans, Romans 1 through 11 has to deal with the gospel of Jesus Christ. It shows the desperate sin in need of a Savior in man's life. It shows the righteousness of God. It shows the gift of Jesus Christ. That's contained in 1 through 11. As we get to chapter 12, 12 on, we get to practical Christian living. And as we have already studied in chapter 12, we came to the point in verse 4 where we realize that each and every person receives a gift or gifts, plural, to exercise in the kingdom of God when they accept Jesus Christ. We're each given a gift. And too many times people look and they say, well, I can't play a musical instrument, I can't speak, I can't teach Sunday school, and they say, so therefore I can't do anything, and that's just not the case. We've all been given a gift. You may not have been given one of those three gifts, but we've all been given a gift. And Romans 12, 4 states just that fact, for as we have many members in one body, but all the members do not have the same function, so we, being many are one body in Christ and individually members of one another, having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, let us use them. We've been given a gift. Paul tells us that we should exercise those gifts. And in fact, the body of Christ is better off if we all come together and exercise those gifts in which God has given us. I mentioned in my previous sermon that based upon this idea that we've been given spiritual gifts, it's no accident that Paul then pins his next verse 9 where he says, Let love be without hypocrisy. The exercise of a gift without the basis of love is meaningless. Paul had already warned the church of Corinth that very thing as he wrote 
one of the most well-known chapters in all of the Bible, and in fact, one of the most well-known descriptions of love in the English language is he wrote the first letter to the Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 13. He said, Though I speak with the tongue of men and angels, but have not love, I have become sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, but have not love, it profits me nothing. Gifts, the exercise of gifts, have to be based upon love. That's why Paul stated in verse 9, let love be without hypocrisy. And if you remember, that word for hypocrisy or hypocrite was based upon the Greek word that's derived from the word that they use for a stage actor. In, In the Greek stage, an actor would bear a mask that would portray the person that they were playing the part that they were playing. And so they would, quote, play the part. And here Paul is warning us, don't play the part. Love without hypocrisy. Now, let's get to the second part of verse 9. Let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil. Cling to what is good. Let love be without hypocrisy, abhor what is evil, cling to what is good. In a cursory glance, one might argue that that is just simple, basic Christian living. Abhor what is evil, cling to what is good. However, I would argue that the second part of Romans 12, 9 is vital in the Christian life in today's world. And this is especially true when you take it within the context of the Christian living in today's society. Because I would argue that today the vast majority of society has a distorted view of love. And so when you look at this verse in total, let me remind you that society will tell you that love is acceptance. Love is acceptance. And you can see this in the culture wars today. Regardless of how much someone is a sexual deviant, society tells us that not only do we have to accept that person, but we must embrace them. This is the culture's definition of love, that we accept anyone, no matter how deviant they are, no matter how devious they are, This is society's definition of love. But look at verse 9 again. 
It tells us, let love be without hypocrisy, abhor what is evil, cling to what is good. Now, on the societal end, we say you have to accept everybody. And in fact, we have so many examples that we can use today where people that have a different worldview are coming after believers. They want to force us to not only accept, but to endorse. But when you look at that verse in total, it says, Abhor what is evil, cling to what is good. Now let's think about that just for a moment. Doesn't that require a standard? If I am going to abhor what is evil and cling to what is good, it means that I have to define the two. I have to define evil. I have to define goodness. And without a standard of what is evil and what is good, you have societal breakdown. One man's evil is another man's good. And I think that you will agree with me that today we are watching and witnessing a societal breakdown because there is no common standard because one man's evil is another person's good. We are in the midst of a culture war. We're in the midst of a culture war. And quite frankly, I do not see it ending any time soon. And the problem with a culture war where society clashes because they have a different viewpoint based upon, for example, sexual norms. Society's standard is fashionable. It's fashionable. Let me give you an example. Kathy and I, on our last overseas vacation, we were in Ephesus. And as we were walking down the avenue, which at the bottom of the hill was where Paul had the Ephesians riding. And as you made yourself progress down the hill, there were statues all in the nude. And I didn't know this, but at the time, what would happen is they would put famous people on those pedestals of whether they were men or women in the nude. And it would come time to where maybe that particular person had fallen out of favor or had been forgotten. So what did they do? They would just take the face off and put another person's face upon the same nude. Today, we would call that pornography. And they weren't in white marble. They were painted. They were to look like a real person. And so I would argue that the sexual mores of the Ephesians were vastly different than the sexual standards of Victorian England or the Puritans. And in fact, you can go and you can look at society at different points in times and you can see where the standard is like a pendulum. It moves back and forth. And as we could see with the Romans, who at one point lived 
with the norm of anything goes. And then we can progress to society during the Reformation. And we can see where it was based upon a biblical standard. External standards create societal stress. But deep down inside, every single person, whether they are a believer or an unbeliever, have been given a knowledge of morals in God. That's what Paul wrote in Romans 1. In Romans 1.18, he wrote, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth and unrighteousness, because what may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has shown it to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Men have been given a basic knowledge of God because it was manifest in them, but they have been suppressing it. And I think that you would agree with me as we look at the culture wars of what's going on in society today. What's acceptable? That's what's going on right now. Society is battling for this idea of what is acceptable. What's the standard? And we have a group of people that are trying to suppress the truth in the eternal standard. And in fact, 1 John 3, 4, where John defines sin, whoever commits sin also commits lawlessness, and sin is lawlessness. What do you see in society today as we battle all of the standards of sexual morality? You have a group of people who want to say anything goes because they love lawlessness. They don't want a standard. They don't want a standard. They're trying to suppress the truth. And while the natural man has an idea of morality in the existence of God, the Christian has been given revelation. 1 Corinthians chapter 2 says in verse 13, These things we also speak not in words which man's wisdom teaches, but with the Holy Spirit teaches. Let me stop there just for a moment. What sets apart the believer and the unbeliever? My friends, the believer is being taught by the Holy Spirit. Let's look at that again. These things we also speak not in words which man's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Spirit teaches. Comparing spiritual things against spiritual. But the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, nor can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. As we look at the culture war going on in society, the Christians look and they go, what in the world is going on? 
And the reason why we look at society and we say, what in the world is going on? It's not in our own merit, in our own righteousness, in our own intellect. It is a gift from God himself. That we have been taught by the Holy Spirit and we understand. We've been given spiritual discernment. And that's why Paul tells us, abhor what is evil, cling to what is good. What is evil? What is good? Does the definition come from mankind? No, and in fact, I think that we can all agree that mankind is completely unreliable in the identification of good and evil. In the book of Jeremiah, chapter 17, verse 9, it reads, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? James 3 verse 16 says, For where envy and self-seeking exist, confusion in every evil thing are there. If you want to pick a verse that describes where we're at in today's modern times, I think it's James 3.16. For where envy and self-seeking exist, confusion and every evil thing are there. Mankind cannot be trusted to have an eternal standard. It is as fashionable as the clothes that we wear. If you just think about that, flashback 45 50 years ago, I might be standing in front of you with white shoes, white belt, very colorful clothes. If I wore that today, you'd think it was a joke. Why is that? It was the fashion at the time. It went out of favor. That's how society is with morals. It's fashionable. But with the Christian, there is an eternal standard. In other words, as I evaluate evil and good, there is an external standard. Now, one of the dangers that I've witnessed over 25 years of ministering is people say, well, I've been praying about it. I've had people say, well, I'm praying about this and I feel like God wants me to do whatever. And then I will hear the most unscriptural thing come out of their mouth. Why is it? Because prayer without a standard is a dangerous thing. Where does that standard come from? It comes from the Word of God. Turn with me to the book of Hebrews. Hebrews 4.12 It reads, For the Word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit, and of joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Let me read that phrase again. It is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. And there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are naked and open to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account." What is God's will in my life? 
It is found in the Word of God. The Word of God is the standard that the Christian must use in evaluating what is evil and what is good. Without the Word of God, I can convince myself of anything. And as we live in a world of apostate denominations, they got away from the Word of God and they started convincing themselves that anything goes. We started off with women in the pulpit and now we're at the homosexual in the pulpit. Because they have drifted away from the clear teaching of the Word of God. You may not like the Word. Take that up with God. It's His Word. It's His revelation. He's the Creator. We are the created. And as we read the Word, as we search the Word, as we pray through the Word... The Word is the discerner of our thoughts and intents. It is the reliable external standard. Now, there's the standard. But then we get to the difficult task of application. We have the law. But then there's the execution of the law. We could go down to the courthouse and we could sit through various trials. And in fact, I remember one time I was a jury foreman during a murder trial. And I remember sitting there and it was very obvious that this person had murdered someone in a neighboring town. And as jury foreman, I thought, well, this is going to be an easy case. Killed somebody with a shotgun. Pretty open and shut. And we got to start taking an initial poll to see where everybody was at. And we got down to one person and the lady said, not guilty. Not guilty? Not guilty of killing someone with a shotgun? And there were witnesses there standing there as he killed the person with the shotgun. And it came to find out that through deliberations that... She was scared in her job and she wanted to be able to carry a gun and use that gun if someone was scary. I said, regardless of what your personal thoughts are, this is the law. Did he do these things? You might not like the outcome, but this is the law. Is it yes or no? And fortunately, she agreed and she said yes. And the person was given the appropriate sentence. The application is where the rub comes in. Abhor what is evil. Cling to what is good. The Christian has to apply. We know what the law is. We know what the standard is. We know what good is. We know what evil is. But then there's application. And this is why Paul wrote the Thessalonians in 1 Thessalonians 521, test all things, hold fast what is good, abstain from every form of evil. We're supposed to be testers. Now, the modern world tells you, oh, you can't judge. You can't judge. 
As a quick aside, what that means is, is that you can't condemn anyone to hell. We don't know how someone's life's going to end. We don't know if they're going to come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. But can I have discernment? Can you have discernment? Absolutely. According to the truth and standard of God. 1 John chapter 4, verse 4 says, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits, whether they are of God. Because many false prophets have gone out into the world. So to be discerning means to first know what the word is. And then apply it, recognize it, what's good, what's evil. But there's more than that. It's more than just knowledge. There's more than just application. Paul tells us what our reaction should be. Abhor what is evil, cling to what is good. Now, if you look at the word abhor, it could mean repulsion. It can also mean separation. And I'm about to talk about something that is not politically correct in our modern society. And it is not popular in the modern day church. But in Ephesians chapter 5, starting in the fifth verse, Paul wrote, For this you know, that no fornicator, unclean person, nor covetous man who is an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore do not be partakers with them. For you were once darkness, but you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. Finding out what is acceptable to the Lord. And have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. In other words, my friends, as I have been given that task of being a discerner, I also need to watch who I keep company with. And if you are hanging around people that are not lifting up the Lord Jesus Christ, chances are you will be pulled down into the mire because of their sin. My friends are Christians. And my friends being Christians enable my task of living a Christian life. So much easier. If I start surrounding myself with non-believers and I'm living among non-believers, it gets harder and harder to make that stand for the Lord Jesus Christ. And it diminishes your witness. It diminishes your witness. Do I tell the lost person about the Lord Jesus Christ? Absolutely. And I'll give you a challenge if you don't believe me. If you have somebody that you hang around with all the time and they aren't a believer, just go up to them and tell them about the Lord Jesus Christ. Either one of two things are going to happen. Either they're going to accept 
or you won't be really friends any longer. And that's biblical. Christ is either this cornerstone or he's the stumbling block. That's what Christ does. Christ causes humanity to make a choice. Is it Christ or is it the flesh? Is it good or is it evil? And we're told to abhor evil. Now, if I'm abhorring evil, I really don't want to hang around people that are committing evil. That's why this place is a wonderful place. People say, why is this place so peaceful? It's peaceful because we come together in unity because we stand on the teachings and truths of Jesus Christ in His goodness and His perfection. Which leads us to the next thing. If I'm abhorring evil, I'm clinging to the good. Clinging. Now, let me ask you, those two words, abhor and cling, are these passive in nature? Are they kind of feel good about it? It's dramatic, isn't it? Abhor and cling. He chooses dramatic words. Dramatic word. Psalm 18.30 says, As for God, His way is perfect. The word of the Lord is proven. He is a shield to all who trust in Him. Now, if I am going to cling to good... It means that I'm clinging to the truth of God. As for God, His way is perfect. The word of the Lord is proven. If I'm going to cling, it means I believe it. I believe it. I believe that Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. I believe His teachings are true. I believe that His way of living that He described in His Word is the way that I should be living. I believe it. I cling to it. It's not intellectual acknowledgement. And if I believe that He's the truth, if I believe that He's the way, if I believe that He's the life, I'm going to search His Scripture to know that my life is living in accordance to His teaching and His will. I think one of the things that's missing from the modern day church is there's been a far too casual attitude towards evilness. And it's all around us. And we should recognize that we've been saved from it and that we should cling to what we've been given and we should proclaim the truth in a lost and dying world. Join me in prayer, please. Father, we just thank you. We thank you that in your love, you have revealed your word to us. In your love, you gave us your son so that we could have forgiveness. In your love, you've given us discernment so that we could recognize what's evil and what's good. I pray, Lord, that we might all cling. I pray that we might cling to righteousness. And I pray that we might recognize how desperate the rest of the world needs Jesus. I pray if there's someone listening who doesn't know you, 
that today they would accept the offer of salvation through Jesus Christ, through the cross of Christ, and through the power of his resurrection. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining us as Pastor Bird continues this sermon series. If you wish to hear more, you may find him at millcreekchurch.org or go to sermonaudio.com slash millcreekchurch. Prayer requests may also be left at millcreekchurch.org. Our church services are as follows. Sunday morning Bible study is at 9 a.m., followed by our worship service at 10 a.m. We have Wednesday night prayer meeting and Bible study, and they are at 6.30 p.m. For more information and our mission statement, please visit our website, milkcreekchurch.org.